Hello there, Rob. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing, Mike? Good, good. How you doing this uh, nice Mother's Day? Yeah, it's Mother's Day, but in the in the in the uh, rock world, it's a week before Fourth um, of July. I know, I know. Well, we've been ahead. We've been recording ahead of time. That's good. You know, we banged a lot of shows out. Yeah, man. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, today we're going to be talking about. You know, one of the, to me, one of the most underrated bands and kind of interesting bands of all time. And that's Cheap Trick. Yeah. Um, they're Rock and Roll Hall of Fame members. Uh, it was a long road to that particular title, but they've had, you know, so many ups and downs, so many, uh, you know, that they've maintained a, pretty much the same, uh, the same group of guys, more or less. But They've had so many ups and downs in their popularity and different generations being into them. It's really like an amazing thing that they've lasted this long. Yeah, I find it amazing that they lasted this long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, let's just dive right in here because there's a lot to talk about. So, Mike, let me just, um, this is um, Rock Show, episode 72. It's about cheap tricks, cheap trick. And, um, what you got for me? Because these guys, yeah, like you say, they had up and down and right. holy shit, man, what a career. <laughs> well, you know, one thing that I noticed with them is um, they kind of had a, a, a parallel breakthrough album the way Kiss did. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you remember Kiss, uh, they really broke it. You know, they had a couple of studio albums, but they really broke it open with the Kiss Alive album and the version of Rock and Roll All Night and Party Every Day. Yeah. And it's not often that a live album breaks a band. It's, it's, been, it's not common, okay? Because what goes into a live album is usually you've, you've had like a couple of hits before on studio albums. Uh, it, you know, it's not often that a band will, will just break it with a live album. But they did with that because of the, uh, the Live at Budokan album. Yeah, that live of Budokan album. That dude, they you know what they re, they they took a while to release the third um studio album just because of that album. Yeah, well, right. They, that album was was very popular, and at first, Epic didn't want to put it out in the states. It was going to be just a Japanese release. Yep. And um, because they were so big in Japan, it actually they couldn't resist it, and they had to do it, and it broke it open here in the states. And it's really one of the only examples of that. In, in rock and roll history. Dude, can you believe these guys have performed over 5,000 times? Easily. Uh, yes, I, I believe that's true, yeah. That, I think that's amazing, man. Yep, yep. All right, so, you know, the history of, of, of Cheap Trick actually goes back to around 1967. Yep. Uh, Rick Nielsen, the guitarist, and bass player Tom Peterson had formed a band called Fuse. And Peterson... What was played. what was the deal with his name adding that extra S? Yeah, you know, I I never got. A, <laughs> you know, if anybody listening knows that that let me know. I I think maybe just to stand out. You think that's what it was? It's still the yeah. same name. All he did was add the extra S, and I'm like, okay. Perhaps there was another Tom Peterson he didn't want to be confused with. I I don't know. He did he did add that S in there. P e t t p e t e r s s o n. Yeah, which. Um, and then he, you know, but whatever reason, probably just to stand out. Now, Tom Peterson had been the uh, had formed a band called Fuse with Rick Nielsen. Yep. 
And Peterson had been in the band earlier called the Bow Weevils. Yes. These guys were all, <laughs> yeah. These, well, you know, these guys were all influenced by the Beatles. I mean, as soon as the Beatles came, you started having a lot of bug names. Yeah. For the band, you know, and then everybody had to have a band. Like before that, it was like singers and, you know, the band wasn't so important. Yeah. You know, solo artists. Even guys like Elvis and Johnny Cash. And I mean, you know, their bands were very important, but not really in the scheme of their popularity. Yeah. Okay. But once the Beatles came, it was like, okay, everybody's got to have a band. And if you remember, even Alice Cooper had a band called the Earwigs. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of funny. But they, they were a Midwest band from Rockford, Illinois. And what they did is once they got Fuse started, they picked up their friend Bun E. Carlos on drums. And they relocated out to Philadelphia in 1971, leaving Illinois for a while. Yep. They would change their name to probably a, a terrible name, if you ask me, called Sick Man of Europe. That's okay. a terrible fucking yeah, I, name. I have no idea what made them think of that. But between 72 and 73, they were called that. And then in 73, they actually did a European tour under that name. Um, it. You know, it was okay. It didn't blow anything open for them, but they ended up relocating back to Rockford, Illinois, right after that tour. Um, by that summer, August of uh, 73, they would officially change their name to Cheap Trick. Now, do you remember the reason why, how they came up with that? I think they saw a band called Slate. Slade, yeah. And then um, this guy, uh, who was it? Either um, Peterson was like, they used like every cheap trick in the book or every cheap trick. Right. A band what, can do to to right. do a show. Tom, Tom Peterson was at a Slade concert, I believe, with some of the other members. Yeah. Uh, they noticed that all the seats were packed out. It was sold out. And Peterson said, well, you know, they, they use every trick in the book at their show. And it just, every cheap trick in the book at their show. So, you know, it just kind of like became the name of the band. Yeah, like they used anything to make the people pop, you know, like, yeah, uh, that, like well, a cheap know, pop. Slade is one <laughs> Slade is one of those bands that when they perform live, they like to get the audience involved. And there's a lot of just like, you know, jump up and down, clap your hands like that. Yeah. You know, now, originally, uh, Robin Zander was not the lead singer. They had a guy named Randy Zeno Hogan, uh, but he left right after the band formed to go on to other things. And yeah. Was what was the deal with that guy? Yeah. It just was a quick in and out of that band. I, I, I don't know. He went on to... Uh, be in some bands in Wisconsin and a few other Midwest bands that did, you know, moderately okay, nothing spectacular. Um, but Robin Zander would, would come in as the lead singer. In 75, they got together, recorded some demos, and started touring around the Midwest rigorously. Uh, they were playing anywhere they could, clubs, venues, whatever they could, warehouses, bowling alleys, anything they could. They were working hard. Now, all that hard work would pay off by 1976, pretty much a year later, when Epic Records became interested and signed them. And they released their first album, the self-titled Cheap Trick, in, in 1977, approximately one year later. You know what sucked? The critics loved the album. But it bombed. Yeah. Yeah. The, crit the critics enjoyed it. It got, it got well, you know, well written up. But nobody bought the thing, and there was one single. Do you think? Do you think by the critics liking the album, they're the one that hurt the album? No, I I, I don't know. Uh, you know, the, Epic may not have promoted them right. You know, a oh lot yeah, of, that's and, true too. You know, I don't I don't really know why because it's a great album and it's considered one of the 
you know, one of the best of their of their albums. But it just they had a single on it called Oh Candy that didn't chart at all. And you got to wonder, like, was was Epic promoting them right or 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 what? I mean, this band has had, you know, some really big breaks and some really bad breaks. And, you know, it was a story. Maybe Epic didn't promote them at all. Just put it out there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that happens. You want to be on a major label so that doesn't happen, but sometimes it happens anyway. Because if you look at the history of Epic, they didn't treat everybody so fair. There were a lot of people, they just, here, here's your fucking contract, just put it out because they didn't want somebody else to sign them either. Right, right, exactly. So, so that would jam me up with these contracts. Like Epic, is, we can talk about Epic one day and we can shit on them. Those guys are kind of fucked up. <laughs> well, they're all cutthroats. All those big labels are, especially yeah. to. Uh, you know, it's all about the bottom line. In those days, at least you get like a multi-record deal. And yeah. Dance, you know, in those days, but not even now. Now, the album didn't do well, but this, they had enough material for a second album. And uh, it came out later in that same year, 1977. It's called In Color. And the two singles, I Want You to Want Me and Southern Girls, failed to chart in the United States. But they ended up, of all places, starting to get a buzz in Japan. So, uh, you know, by April of 78, they released the album towards the end of 77. By April of 78, there was a buzz in Japan, and they decided to go there. Why not, right? Yeah, why not? You got nothing to lose. Yeah, it's all way popular. They didn't know what they were getting into, because immediately arriving in the country, it was compared to Beatlemania. That's how big they were. Yeah, in Japan. <laughs> nope, nope, right. In Japan. Nobody knew them here. They were, you know, some of the critics knew them, and, and they had some popularity in the Midwest. The singles didn't chart nationally, but in Japan, for some reason, it took off. And it was it was crazy. It was just a frenzied, uh, you know, introduction to Japan and the people, and they were treating them like they were the Beatles. It was a shock. But they played to several packed out Japanese venues at the time in that in that month. And they decided, you know, let's capitalize on this. And Epic allowed them to record a live album. Now, they had uh, two concerts scheduled at what's called the Nippon Budokan. And it's also just called the Budokan. It's a big arena where they've had everything from, uh, you know, sporting events to the Olympics to concerts. It's a very famous place in Japan. They will have Japan. wrestling there and they would sell out. Yes. <laughs> they have sumo, sumo wrestling. Yeah. I mean, in front of, I think it is it at least, it's got to be 70, 80,000 people. Yeah. I think. Okay. I, don't quote me, but it's in that ballpark. Um, they had two concerts scheduled there and they would record 10 songs over those two shows. All right. Now, um, this would be called uh, Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. And like I mentioned a little bit before, it was intended as a release only in Japan. Yep. All right. But the band now had a new studio album. These guys were prolific. They were writing constantly in the 70s. And uh, they had a lot of material. So there was a new studio album called Heaven Tonight. Yeah. And that was scheduled to be released in May of 78. Now, keep in mind, they were in Japan at that time. Now, the track Surrender... Which, which is probably their, one of their most well-known songs, maybe right after I Want You to Want Me. Yeah, I love that um, song. Surrender. Yeah. Sur- that's yeah, a great yeah. song. Um, it's all right. Your dad yeah. is all right. You know, a great tune. Um, it, it, they would release that as a single off the Heavens Tonight album. 
and it would get to number 62 in the United States officially. But over the years, it's become, you know, probably probably a signature song for them. Um, one of the songs that I love off that Heaven Tonight album is called, it's got a German title. It's called Off Wiedersehen. Okay. Uh, it means goodbye yeah. in German. And it was the B-side of the Surrender single. And in some ways, I think it's an even better song. Uh, it, it was. It's always cool live when they do it. It's a very heavy rocker kind of tune. And it's a song about suicide. Okay. Wow. Uh, and some people have kind of taken it that it's like a pro-suicide song. It's really not. Um, the band will always say it's an anti-suicide song. But some people kind of take it the other way because... You know, he's screaming like goodbye, goodbye at the end. Like it's 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 a little bit confusing, but they're really not, you know, saying it's a, it's good to kill yourself. But it's one of my personal favorite songs that's on that album. Now, the live at Budokan was tearing up the charts in Japan. Yeah. And Epic was pressured because of that to release it in the United States. So they did that in February of 79. So right now they've got Heaven Tonight, which is doing OK. In the United States, and then you have the Budokan album just coming out a few months later. Um, you want to hear something gotta... funny about that whole thing? Also, not only did that Budokan, once that Budokan album came, dude, it, it hit triple platinum. That's how fucking popular yeah. the album was in the U.S. Yeah. In the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, they would release a live version of I Want You to Want Me as a single, which to this day on classic rock stations, it's really the only version of the song you hear. You don't hear the studio version. Now, that version, the live version, is fantastic. That one actually yeah. worked in the U.S. The original one yeah. didn't, but the U.S., the one in Budapest, yes. Not Budapest, Budokan. Budokan, I mean, Budokan. Yes, yeah, yeah. So Bud it, it, yeah. Budapest, Budokan, all those fucking... <laughs> oh, let me not say it. <laughs> now, you know, that to this day is the version you hear when they play Cheap Trick. I do like the studio version, but no one cares about it. Everybody likes the live at Budokan version. Um, they also would release a, a version of the Fats Domino song, Ain't That a Shame, as a single off that album, and it got to number 35. They had put a new track on that album called Need Your Love. Uh, it, that was supposed to be on their next studio album called Dream Police. But because that was included on Budokan, it, it kind of gave Epic uh, the idea that they had to postpone Dream Police while they kind of wrote out the success of Budokan. So they waited until the end of 79 to come out with another studio album. Yeah. So in a matter of like a year and a half, they had three albums out. That's amazing. Yeah, and they had two studio albums even before that. Dude, can I ask so, you a weird question? Why did that Why did that live version album take off so? Do you know any? Why did was that live version album like took off like that? What? It's just fucking great. I mean, it's it's like, you know, when you listen to it, it's like the best tracks off their first couple of studio albums, just done live, and and it was just a great sound at the Budokan. Uh, you know, it, it just, it clicked. I don't know. They, they maybe Epic promoted that right, but I think there was like an exotic level to it, maybe because it was a Japanese live album. Uh, you know, it had a little bit of a, a buzz about it. Like, hey, you got to check out this band that just played the Budokan. Here's the live album. You know, critics like them. Yeah. Critics like 
So DJs were there bootleg copies here in the US before the before the live album came out? Did they have bootleg? Were you one of the guys that got a bootleg of that? No, I don't I don't recall ever seeing that. Um I'm trying I was a kid. I do remember when that album came out, it had a lot of buzz about it. And I think I I think I bought it on cassette. Wow. I remember. Okay, you're talking. I'm about. I must have been about 11 years old. <laughs> I think. I, I think I bought it. I think I went. Yeah, there used to be a store called Record World. Okay, and it was a chain like Sam Goody, but like a little bit smaller chain. I think there was a and few. I, I think there was one in the East Village, and maybe on 34th yeah, Street. There was. There was on 34th Street. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I did buy it. I think on cassette there, if I remember right. Because I, I liked I Want You to Want Me. But leading up to, you know, that album coming out, I don't recall it being bootlegged. What they might have done is, you know, there might have been a buzz on radio stations. Certain DJs in those days might have played cuts from it when it was an import. It might have been an import. Okay. Or, or they might have had copies of it. But I don't recall. I, that's a good question, man. I'd like to look that up. Uh, if there ever was a bootleg or a, an import version, even, you know, because it wasn't being distributed here. So somebody was distributing it, but it was probably just whoever they had over in Japan. Yeah, there hadn't been one or two copies that got here. Trust me. That's, that's a good question, Rob. Very good question. I, I, I have to look into You that. know, Mike, but, it's the U.S. You know, you know, you will go to the record store. You talk to the right guy. He'll get you a bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, back in the day, yeah, if it was available. I mean, especially like you say, down in the village, there was all those, you know, uh sounds and 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 Sullivan Street records and uh uh Blika Bobs and you know, all those places that we all shopped at. They they could get you. Oh, they get to yeah, you you'll talk to him yeah. and you give him money, they'll be like, Yeah, I got you. <laughs> right, right, right. Now finally Epic would come out, uh they would release the Dream Police album in late seventy nine. And the title track would be a hit. That would be a, a, a strong single. And there was also another single called Voices that did very well. I kind of like now, the Dream Police albums, like one of the albums that I liked a lot. Uh, it's one of my favorites from them. It's it's a different kind of album than what they had done earlier. Okay. Uh, it was somewhat experimental. Okay. It was more heavy metal. And it was more like, holy shit. They, well, there was a song on there called Gonna Raise Hell that they they dabbled in kind of a heavier, almost heavy metal sound. Yeah. I wouldn't really call it that. It just was heavier for them. Yeah. Okay. Um, they had some songs that had strings on it. Uh, you know, it was kind of a little bit dis- disjointed as an album. It was a little bit all over the place. But I think it's, I think it's one of their best. Um, and then by that point, when that album came out, they were starting to play, you know, arena shows headlining themselves. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, on this huge you know wave of popularity tom peterson the bass player would leave the band and he would record a solo album with his wife and he got replaced by a guy named john brandt who would be with them for a while um their fifth album called all shook up came out in 1980 okay so they're putting out you know two albums a year yeah it's okay really putting a lot out now this album was produced by beatles producer george martin Okay, and there would be a reason for this. Um, Cheap Trick had a reputation of kind of being like an American Beatles, at least in Japan. Yeah. 
All right. The, the Japanese people kind of viewed them as that for some reason. Uh, they were kind of marketed that way as an American Beatles in Japan. And, you know, George Martin wanted to work with them. Uh, he was, you know, still uh, recording a little bit here and there with different people, though he's, you know, he would retire not too long after that. But prior to that, they had been using a producer named Tom Worman for the studio albums before yeah. that. And he worked out very well. But uh, they decided to break from that and go with George Martin. I mean, who wouldn't want to work with the Beatles producer, right? Yeah, of course, so, man. That's that huge. Album, yeah, All Shook Up is, a, to me, it's a quirky kind of album. It wasn't radio friendly at all. I mean, but there's some great songs on there. A song called Just Got Back. Yeah. And then there's a song called Baby Loves to Rock, which people compared to Led Zeppelin's rock and roll. Yeah, because they call them like, like a Led Zeppelin called Psycho, somebody described him. Right. Dude, the Ultra Cup, would you think that was a tribute to like Elvis? Almost, they were always, almost they were always, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they, they were Elvis fans. They would record Don't Be Cruel later on. Uh, they would record that. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, Elvis and the Beatles and all that early stuff was, was what they were influenced by. So, yeah, I'm sure it had something to do with that. Um, Another great track on that album, uh, All Shook Up, is called I Love You But I Hate Your Friends. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I always like that one. Um, between July of 81 and early 82, the band and their manager, Ken uh, Adamana, were, were, were sued by the record label CBS Incorporated for $10 million, alleging that they were trying to get CBS to, you know, under Epic to, uh, force a, a negotiation of their contract and basically the, the label was saying that they just the band didn't want to record anything they wouldn't record any new material um and that was actually they hadn't recorded any new material since 1980 in the studio uh so the lawsuit would get settled um and they would begin work again in early 82 but mike think about uh, how yeah. many albums they did in the short span of time <laughs> right right and i i, I think there might have been some some you know, relevance to what CBS Incorporated was, was saying. Yeah. I think they might have, they might have felt like Epic might not have been doing them right or not paying them right or something. And they just stopped recording, but they had so much material out anyway. Okay. But they, you know, Epic was used to like these guys putting out two a year and then they didn't do yeah. that. So, you know, they felt, I guess they felt slighted in some way, but they sued them for 10 million. Uh, it would get settled, I believe, out of court. Um, but they would begin work again in early 82. And the album that would come out of that would be an album called One on One. And uh, it had two hit singles on that. Okay. And I, I always love this song, If You Want My Love. And that would go to number 45. And then a song called She's Tight, which would go to number 65. Uh, that kind of had some sexual overtones. <laughs> yes, tight. he did. Um, it did. Um, if you want my love had a cool MTV MTV video with it, just kind of them performing on a sound stage. Um, John Brandt would be in that video. Um, I, I was actually listening to it today. It's, it's still just a great kind of like ballad. Song. Have you seen the uh, link I put to the original airing of MTV? The original I put, a, I put a link to the original area, the first time MTV. Oh, yeah, you did. Yes, you did. Right. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's it's like a whole bunch of dates 
you can watch it for yeah, hours. And you today. remember like, when the first song video killed the radio star was the first yeah. fucking video they played. And what and what was the second? Uh oh Jesus. Um Pat oh yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what it was. Pat Benatar. Yeah. You, be- you better run. You better yeah. run. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, okay, so that album, one on one, would do pretty well, and they would come out with another album right after that in '83 called Next Position, Please, but it failed to be commercially. You know, uh, it failed to be commercial pretty much. It at sucked. All. It it, yeah, well, you know, one thing with this band, I think they, I think they oversaturated the market with that, with that, with their music. And so that's just my. I opinion. think it was too much think, music too quick. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's good to throw out two albums in a year sometimes, but they were like coming out consistently, consistently with it. And what happens is, people are like, "Oh shit, they got another album yeah. ready," you know, like nothing has a chance to build up. I'm surprised that Epic allowed them to even do that. They should have been taking out an album every two years because that's pretty much just uh like that's well, the survival well, of albums if you think about it. Or 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 one a year, yeah. you know, or you know something like that with a little bit of promotion. But how are you going to promote two albums a year? All yeah, time? that means you got to do like uh, two concerts cool. almost. Two, two tours, tours, yeah. Or, you know, constantly. You know, and and yeah, they were working hard, but I think that that strategy for them might have hurt them at times but they would get see but the thing with them is they would always get back on their feet and and in 85 two years later they would um come out with the album standing on the edge and that had the top 10 single tonight in yeah. okay which was a another mtv hit they were definitely getting some help from mtv um writing now a little bit of popularity again they they recorded for the top gun movie soundtrack a song called Mighty Wings, and that would be played over the credit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Top Gun. Um, a lot of good songs, you know, a lot of songs on that album were hits, right? The Take My yeah. Breath Away. And all that. Remember that? Um, a new album that year again was called The Doctor, and they had released a, a single called um, It's Only Love, but it failed. All right. So, kind of like being on that, that, that rise in popularity, they took another dip. Uh, John Brandt would leave the band at this time, and Tom Peterson would rejoin them on bass in 1987. Now, it was on this uh, this year that they recorded the album Lap of Luxury, and this would be another huge comeback for them. But Epic was kind of, you know, trying to control them a little bit, and they brought in a guy named Richie Zito to produce and assist in the songwriting. Richie Zito had worked with bands like, you know, hair bands like uh, White Lion and Poison. And he had some success with them, uh, some other bands as well. But it was the first time they ever used outside collaborators for songwriting. But Epic insisted because of the commercial failure of the Doctor album, they needed some assistance. And the band, you know, resisted at first, but they kind of. Took that took it as a learning lesson. But this was probably one of the best. You know what? This was probably one of the best charted album that they had. It is because the the ballad, the power ballad, the yeah. flame. Okay, which I always liked that song. Uh, it, you know, I mean, they they were kind of getting lumped in with the hair metal bands. I felt, and I, you know, I just didn't agree they with that. They were in the hair metal. You know what? They were like oh. a little bit. They were like rock and roll. A little more. They were like between like the, 
rock, like a metal rock and roll band, but they were more rock yeah. and roll than metal. Yeah, but the way that they were being promoted, it, it seemed like they were getting lumped in on the fringes of the hair of metal course. bands. Because MTV, MTV would play them like, you know, and then play like a Poison video right after that. Oh, Mighty Cool. Yeah, yeah. And I always felt that Cheap Trick really had nothing to do with that. Um, the Flame would be a, a big hit. It would be their only number one they ever had in the United States. Okay, and their version of Elvis Presley's Don't Be Cruel, which is on yeah. that album, would be the number four. They now, had a video that for album, that, too. I remember watching that video yes, to me a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, it was a big hit. It went to number four on Billboard, and it, it did very well on MTV. Yeah. Now, the album would go platinum, and it's it's considered like a really great comeback album for them. But by 1990, uh, the band was getting ready to release a new album. Uh, they had spent about two or three years touring behind the success of The Flame and the album Lap of yep. Luxury. And they were ready to release this album called Busted in 1990. Uh, they were allowed a little more creative control uh, by the label on this, but they still had to have some outside songwriting help. And that album would make it to number four. The single Can't Stop Falling in Love would go to number 12. All right. Um, it, but in 90, 1991 now, they would release a Greatest Hits album. And at that year, they would also leave Epic and sign with Warner Brothers for just one That's album. That's crazy. Yeah, well, you know, I think they, they realized their time was up with Epic and they, you know, everything had run its course. Uh, I got a feeling that Greatest Hits album was really just released to get out of that contract. A lot of times they yeah. do that for that reason. Um, they... You know, they would leave and Warner Brothers would sign him for one album. And in 94, they would come out with the Woke Up With a Monster album. Uh, the title track uh, would do OK, but the album only got to number 123. Um, 1997, the band would sign with indie label Red Ant Records. Uh, basically, they, they, they realized they had to kind of take their lumps and, and go with a much smaller label to yeah. stick around. Um, they would release this. They, they were trying to reinvent themselves and they released it as a self-titled album called just called Cheap Trick. And uh, it it's a decent album. But the problem was Red Ant, the parent company, Alliance and went bankrupt, went bankrupt like a few weeks after the release. So they really had no record label at that point. Everything was was being restructured at the parent company. Everything was null and void. They did, They were just released, basically, and didn't have a label. Um, their single Say Goodbye off that album only got to number 119. And the album itself basically tanked. Okay? It's not, no, a, bad it's not a bad album. It's, it's just, they, it was a they kind, they, bad label. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they didn't see it coming, yeah. I guess. But the, the, um, the album artwork was similar to the first album. They were just trying to go back to their roots. A little bit. Um, they would spend 1998 kind of rebuilding. Uh, the first three studio albums they did would be reissued and remastered. All right. And also a brand new complete concert version of the Live at Budokan, the original album, was released. Um, the complete concert meaning from both shows, every, every song. So it kind of was like the stuff they left out because it's only a single album, okay, when originally. And now it became kind of like a, you know, a double album release. 
they would tour behind this, okay, uh, the, re- the, the re-releases and the, and the Budokan. And they ended up uh, recording a live album from that tour called Music for Hangouts. Yep. And it was, uh, it was recorded in Illinois, where they're from, uh, Chicago, I believe. Um, and it featured some members of Smash. I love Smashing Pumpkin, man. They're a great band. I know. I we're gonna say that. That's why I mentioned that. Um, now, in and that was in '98. Now, in 1999, they would record a cover of uh, the band Big Star's 1972 song "In the Street," and that ended up becoming the theme to that. Yeah, that's a show. great. I love that that song. Yeah, now that's a band, Big Star. We're gonna need to have to cover at some point. Uh, I've gotten heavy into them over the last like ten years or so. Uh, that's Alex Chilton, who was in the Box Tops. If you remember the song, um, the letter, like, uh, give me a ticket on an air. Oh yeah, ain't got that. That's Alex Chilton, okay. And uh, he, after the Box Tops broke up, he had a band called Big Star, which never really got big they have like a cult following uh probably bands like rem early rem owe a lot okay. to big star uh, but they're a band we should look into and alex chilton did produce the first cramps album so you know he's he's somebody we need to talk about but uh in march of 2002 they would start working on a new album uh this would be called special one and it would be released in May of 2003. So they took their time with this album. Uh, they basically wrote it over a period in 2001. They started recording in 2002. And then it would be released in 2003. I believe they, was, they didn't have a label at that point. Uh, they had recorded it up in the Bearsville Studios in Woodstock, New York, uh, which is a famous studio. A lot of bands have recorded there. Uh, I believe uh, Foghat was a band that recorded there a lot. Um, but they would get signed to a label called the big three label and it would reach only number one twenty eight. So they would, they were still struggling. Okay. They had their fan base, uh, that was always, you know, loyal to them, but nationally they were not selling a lot of records in 2002. I saw them around that time. I want to say early two thousands, uh, they opened up for Alice Cooper, who had an album called Dirty wow. Diamonds, which was really good. And he played a free show in the summer with uh, with Cheap Trick opening up out on Long Island at a place called Bald Hill. And uh, I, I drove about an hour out there with uh, my buddy Keith that you know. And uh, we saw you know Cheap Trick and Alice for free. It was wow. a free show. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they did kind of a a greatest hit set, but these guys could still fucking play. It was just like rocked out. I was blown away. In some ways they were better wow. than Cooper. Because uh, I'd seen Cooper many times. And Cheap Trick I've I've only seen just a, a couple of times, not a lot, maybe three times. And uh they, they they're always great. I, I the live Cheap Trick show is always worth it. Even if they're not selling records, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the live shows are really what you want to hear. I mean, listen to Budokan. Okay. That was in, in 78, and they're just as good now. You, okay. You want to hear they, a weird thing that Illinois did for them? So every April Fool's, every April 1st, it's Cheap Trick Day. Is, yeah. <laughs> right. Do you right, know that true. in that's Illinois? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rock, rock 
Illinois, where they're from. That's they, they love them. Um, they would in 2006 they would uh, release another album actually called okay. Rockford. Okay, named after where they're from. And the single off that album was a song called Perfect Stranger. It got kind of, the band got tied in with a McDonald's advertising campaign <laughs> at that point. And I, I'll be honest, I kind of remember this, okay? I, I think I might have seen a commercial with them in it at one point, you know, playing. This is your band. wake up. It was like a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever, okay? I guess they needed some cash. But um, in 2007, they, uh, like you were saying, Rockford would announce that every April 1st would be their you know, cheap trick day from now on. And what they also did is they, they put the artwork from the Rockford album cover like on a lot of city vehicles. Wow. Okay, like buses and stuff like that. Okay. And um, that summer also was the 40th anniversary of the Sgt. Pepper album. And, you know, being huge Beatles fans and compared to the Beatles in some circles, uh, they actually played the album back to back, you know, front to back in its entirety with the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra. OK, and it featured vocalists Joan Osborne and Amy Mann. Amy Mann being yep. until Tuesday. I know that. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. Yeah. Joan Osborne was like, what if yes. God was one of us? I always That song that was song. fucking trash. It was. It was. But Amy Mann was like voices carrying like, yeah. the video and stuff when she goes off with yeah. the guy at the end. I always kind of so, like that. Let me tell you, um, they did that. So it was the whole, um, it was the, the whole Sgt. Pepper band that they did. Yep, the Sgt. Pepper album. Yeah, wow. From beginning to end. Okay, they they did it, which is not a an easy thing to sing and perform. Um, they had an orchestra with them, which is what you need. Now I've heard. Paul McCartney live. I've seen him live where he does tracks from that. And it's amazing. I mean, and I'm not a big, huge fan of that album. I like the Beatles, but I like some other albums better. And But even just hearing it done live, done correctly live, like the album, is amazing. And Paul McCartney pulls it off, and these guys pulled it off pretty good, too, with, with this orchestra. Um, in April of 2008, they would perform at Budokan again for the 30th That's anniversary. Amazing. Of the, of the live album, yeah. And I remember seeing some of that on television. And, uh, you know, it was 30 years, 2008, you know. Now, things would take a bad turn. And in 2010, drummer Bun E. Carlos, who I have to say was really an important member of the band, uh, an important character in the band. Cheap Trick, you know, you look at them visually. You got the lead singer who's this kind of blonde, you know, rock god yeah. little type. Okay. A straight head kind yeah. of Robert Plant instead of curly hair. Okay. And then you got Rick Nielsen who is just quirky and weird. The way he plays guitar, he'll play like triple neck guitars and he wears like funny sweaters and he dances around funny and he grew that funny beard <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Okay. Remember that? Okay. And and then you got you know, the bass players are pretty straight. The yeah. couple that they've had. Uh, but then you got Bunny Carlos, who's like this nerdy, chunky looking guy with glasses and always had a cigarette in his mouth. He always wore a, a white button down yeah. shirt with a tie. <laughs> you know, he looked like he looked like he should be working in, in a bank. OK. And he's, you know, playing the drums. And but but all that 
all that aside, I think he's one of the best drummers in rock and roll. Wow. Okay. I, I would put him in the top. Wow. Top 20. Top 20. Okay. Uh, very underrated as a drummer. Uh, maybe people would disagree with me, but I like Cheap Trick's music, especially the early albums. Uh, he could just play anything. He was, uh, you know, he, he, you know, I could see Bunny Carlos in a punk band. Wow. I could. Okay. You know, and uh, he, he, he was there. He was kind of like the soul of the band. Now, in 2010, he would stop touring with them. All right. And there was some reasons, uh, medical reasons. He had a bad back. Uh, he wouldn't tour anymore. But by 2013, something else came up and it, it, it shed a whole, whole new light into what was going on with the band. He actually filed a lawsuit against the other three guys claiming that officially he was a band member, but he wasn't being allowed to record and he wasn't allowed to be at other band activities, practices, things like that. And slowly, Rick Nielsen was bringing in his son, Dax. To replace him. As drums, to replace him. And don't know why. Uh, you know, maybe Bunny's playing was a little off because he had back problems. I, I don't know what created that fracture right there. Now, when he made the, the lawsuit, the other three countersued back to get him out of the band legally. Okay? He wouldn't leave the band. Okay? You know, on his own. They wanted to fire him, and they couldn't, so they had to go to court. Okay? And eventually, all these kind of nasty litigations, there was a lot of back and forth. Uh, you heard stuff in the press. Uh, I think Rick Nielsen called him a scumbag or a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, they had a bad breakup. Something like that. Yeah, it was like some really nasty stuff being said. Now it got settled, and and in in a fairly short time, but but it was still ugly. But it got settled, and and Bunny was allowed to remain as a what a member of the band, but he didn't tour and he wouldn't record with them anymore. Dax would be brought in for all that, so Bunny still gets royalty. A, a, a fourth. He still gets a fourth of yeah. whatever. Because he, he started that band. You know, he was an original yeah. member. Even before yeah. Robin Zander, technically. Yeah, you're right. Okay? I mean, he, was, he was there before Robin. And uh, Rick Nielsen's son, Dax, would, would do the drumming from now on. But Bunny would be out of the band. Now, by 2016, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, fans that were putting letters together and, 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 and fan clubs getting it together and kind of like lobbying the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to put them in there. Um, a lot of people wrote letters, emails uh, saying, you know, what's the matter with you people? You got to have this band in there. Um, they, would, they would release an album that year in 2016 called Bang, Zoom, Crazy, Hello. And there was a single called No Direction, uh, No Direction Home, excuse me. Um, and they got signed to a a major label called Big Machine Records. And, you know, it, the album did okay, nothing great. The, the single didn't explode. But, you know, they were kind of like, you know, they had a studio album out. They were still together. Dax was on drums. Um, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was becoming interested. And they would get inducted in April 2016. The four original members. Now, that was something that, I think the other three wanted to try to keep. No, nah, they out. couldn't. But, 
Right, but the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame said, fuck you, we just went through this with Kiss, okay? Because Kiss was, <laughs> you know, arguing over, you know, who are you going to let in? We've had so many members, okay? And they, I think Gene and Paul tried to not have Ace and Peter in there at first. And Rock and, you know, they said Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was, no, you can't do that. So um, also it was about who was going to perform, okay? Kiss wanted to bring you know, the, the other guys, okay, the new guys. And the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame said, no, we're inducting Ace and Peter, too. You got to have them play. They refused. So Kiss didn't perform at their own. Wow. Level, all right. But Cheap Trick didn't want to go down that route. They wanted to take a higher road, okay, and they – because that was kind of low, you know, and they allowed Bunny to perform. And they hadn't performed in a couple of years together. Uh, according to Bunny – they didn't even rehearse. They just did like a quick sound check a couple of hours earlier. And they played like I Want You to Want Me and Dream Police and uh, one or two others. And they, you know, they nailed it. They nailed it. I've watched it. I watched it recently when I was getting ready to prepare for the show. And it's a great performance. I mean, he's just, it, it was like old times. That he, that he didn't miss a beat. Um, and he actually, they all spoke at the end when they got inducted. And Bunny, you know, was his usual funny nerdy self with the cigarette and talking and you know he was funny but i think that's uh, probably the last time he played right it was it was yes um he's got a band now that he he performs with a little bit in in the illinois area um i, I would say he's about 70 years old now right now so you know things are things are like you know he doesn't put, play as much as he used to he can still play though i watched some clips of this band he has, and uh, they're not bad. They're not bad. Um, 2016, they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In 2017, they would come out with uh, two albums in the same year again. One album called We're All Right, and then they released a Christmas album called Christmas yeah. Christmas. You know, and that's, you know, that's where we hey, are. I right want to ask you uh, one question. Crazy. What happened with them where they got offered to play the Republican National Party, the Republican National Convention? Oh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go there. there was I'm going there. Where... <laughs> <laughs> in, tw- in 2016, uh, at the Republican National Committee, uh, the, 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 the actual, what do they call that? The convention, excuse me, the convention. Uh, when Trump was going to get the nomination, they were offered to play and they turned it down. You know, they said, oh, we'd have to have swastika guitars. Yeah. Something. What was yeah, the deal with that, that fucking little comment that he made? Like a little back backward uh, smack. Well, look, it, look, they're from Illinois. They're yeah. going to hate Trump. They love Obama. You know, so it, I don't you know, I, I'm tired of the whole. The, all these bands, you know, chiming in with the politics. They could have just said, no, thank you. Yeah, because that kind of would have been a backhanded smack to Obama because he, he is from Illinois, right? He's from Chicago. And to have the a cheap trip, the Chicago native son would have been smacked in the face. I guess. I guess you could look at it like and that. You know what's I another know. weird uh, thing? The, the, the band appeared in an Insane the Clown Posse album called Black Blades, a song. They yeah, it's on, weird, right? man. Yeah, yeah. I, I've never heard yeah, that it's, song. Yeah, it's just good? just look it up. It's weird. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, insane clown. Those, those fucking guys are, you know, they 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 sued WCW because one of them got thrown off a bus for real by mistake. Yeah, really. Book is back. 
Wow. 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 All right. So that's what I got for you. That's Cheap Trick. And, uh, you know, band with a lot of ups and downs. And they finally got some respect in yeah. 2016. They got into the Rocker Hall of Fame. Uh, but I, I think they maybe that's not true. I think they always had respect. It's just that they had ups and downs and they had some bad downs and people forgot about them. But they seem to bounce back. And uh, they're not. Done. Yeah, that's they're what I was going to ask. Are they still up. done? Are you think they're working on one more album or anything like that? I'm, well, you know, I haven't heard anything about them breaking up. And uh, I think that they're still out there performing. Every yeah, you know what? Years. I think last year uh, they played um, Jones Beach. Was it last year or the year before? Yeah, they I played Jones that. Beach. I, I, they played Jones Beach with somebody else. And I, too, I think they're playing with another group. Like, that's like, ain't they, play, ain't they like playing this group? summer? Like, they were supposed to play City Field or something? It's, were they part of that whole, like, Def Leppard? No, they weren't part, thing? but I think they had no. another. They were going to do, like, a free show. Like, remember Hart did that show with, uh, like, they had the Mets, and then they had, like, the band play after the Mets game? They had Hart yes. play? I think they were going to do that this yes. year uh, when the Cubs came to play the Mets. Yes. Yes. Um. Okay. So that's what I got for you. Not so bad, Mike. Not bad, man. <laughs> Pretty good show. I got a lot of information that I yes. wanted. And I got that visual of doing a show on Cheap Trick that will never, that will burn in my eyes forever. <laughs> yeah, well, I know you wanted to shit on them a little bit. No, nah, I, you know, I, I kept you. it. No, you know, after <laughs> reading them, you know what? They, 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 they were a lot of stuff that they did that I, that I liked. Yeah. Um, they were yeah. a lot better than... I mean, everything, you know, really, I mean, the Live at Budokan album, if you're a rock and roll fan, that is a great most, album. Yeah. Okay. It's, 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 it's as important as, you know, some of the most seminal albums out there, you know, like anything that any Beatles album, any, you know, any stones album that live at Budokan is as important, I think in, in, in the history. And, uh, they, they, you know, and they have that, that, story of really that album breaking. I pretty think that's the album that, that made them much. Mike to tell you too that's the album yes. if it, it wasn't for worked. that I don't think we would be talking about Cheap Trick today no no you wouldn't and uh, they have Japan yeah. to thank too okay um, you know the Japanese market for, for rock bands at least back in the day and I guess now to some degree too is something that can can you know it's underestimate you you underestimate it but really it's a huge market and i mean even like the runaways in the 70s with joan jett and stuff they they were huge in japan that was like maybe about two or three years before cheap yeah. Trick got big okay I was like around seven can i tell you i so. saw the movie and the runaway was, the movie i thought it was terrible I like that. Yeah, movie. that was really? like it was Johnny Jett, the girl, the girl that was with a vampire played Johnny. First and some other. Yeah, and, I thought and, it was all right, but I think they made they made this guy look like a total perv. What's his name? Yeah, Kim Fowley. He was like he they was, made him so was, weird, so like oh my god, this guy's a creeper. He was weird, dude, dude. They didn't make him anything. He was that. Okay. And we're going to do a show on Kim Fowley. I've talked about that before. Kim Fowley was a crazy oh, yeah. fucker, man. Remember the, the documentary? Oh, yeah. That, he was now? there. He was talking okay. some shit. That's him. That's him. Okay. And uh, he made the Runaways. And he 
just destroyed them. Yeah, because the girl too, shitted on him you know? at first, right? And right. then she talked yeah, very well, nicely well, about it. So she was like... Cherie, Cherie Curry, you know, hated his guts. Joan respected him uh, to, to mostly. But, I mean, the, he was he was. You a think character. he banged him? No. 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 You don't I, think I don't he fucked so. the lead singer of these? Maybe when she was passed out on freaking pills or something. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't think he ever banged uh, Johnny Jeb, but I think he banged the other girl. The the um maybe maybe the, yes, you know, he was a fucking other one. That. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever read uh? You ever read Lita Ford's book? No. Okay, I forget the name of it, off the top of my head, but she talks about how she had like a threesome with John Bon Jovi and another oh, chick shit. or something. Like crazy, yeah, like crazy. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, Kim Fowley's a guy we got to talk about. He had a long career. He died a few years ago. Um, I like the Runaways movie, and and I like the Rodney Bingenheimer with the real Kim Fowley because the Runaways is just an actor yeah. playing him. But I think he played him spot on. That guy, I forget the the guy character's name. Oh, that's uh, Michael he Shannon. Was... Yes. Yeah, yeah, that guy's yeah. good. That guy was great in the Iceman, the Iceman, the bird, the, the the Hitman. He was good in that movie. If you ever seen it. Yes. Yes. Um. Okay. So that's all I got for you today. So uh, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, um, YouTube, Twitter, anything getting lumped up. You can pretty much find me on. So I'm a social media horse. So just reach out to me and um. Send me a send me a Twitter a face message. Tell me to go fuck off. Whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram, RockerMike212, on Twitter, RockerMike3, and on Facebook under my real name, which is Michael Baker. So oh, Mike, I'd like to leave you with this with this um announcement. Thank you for not being in Facebook in jail for the last two months. <laughs> oh yeah, I think it's been longer than that. I, I haven't been in Facebook jail in at least six months. Yeah. I think you know who's in jail uh, again, Gino. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I haven't seen him in a while, man. What did he? I don't know what he say, but he, he should be he should be part of a group. The uh, the the outlaws. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Facebook outlaws. Uh, great show, right, Mike. Man. Talk to you next week, and remember, don't get drunk, get lumped up. Don't get drunk.